one bag, went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Jill. All right, invite Wayne up. You happy to use the handheld, Wayne, or happy to use this mic? Down here is all right. <laughs> um, you'll have to excuse me. I'm quite rusty at this. So it's probably been five or six years since I've given a uh, a um, sermon. So um, it's quite dear to my heart this one because um, in 1999 we sold our farm and we got roughly a talent for it. Well, I'll show you in a minute what um, a talent was worth. But um, we we roughly got a talent <laughs> in payment. Uh, sold everything and came to town uh, in a big step of faith. Um, what had happened was David Longy came to power in, was it, 1984, yeah, and said, farming's a sunset industry. <laughs> and we were on a hill country, you know, sheep and cattle farm, and um, yes, basically it became a sunset industry. <laughs> so, uh, so we thought, well, you know, we've only got a few years left before we want to retire. Um, we need to... Um, double our money. So we sold up, came to town, and um, for four years we looked around and worked, and then uh, we bought the business. And um, yeah, we were blessed. We um, It was hard. Um, we were quite naive, um, but we, um, yeah, we more than doubled our assets in, in uh, 11 years. So um, that's my background. <laughs> okay. This, this parable, parable is also found in Luke 19, 12 to 27. But under the name of the parable of the money or even the parable of the pounds. Same parable, but the slightly different details. All these parables were told to collectively form a three-dimensional picture of the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, the talent is actually a weight of gold or precious metal. And according to Wikipedia, it was about 33 
33 kilograms. So that's quite a bit of gold. On current gold value, this is estimated at $1.4 million. So the parable is not really about small change. Where's, um, where's the best place for this? Is it sort of, um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of um, blowing and, yeah. The background to this parable is um, Herod the Great made a trip to Rome in 40 BC, seeking a Roman appointment to, as king. His son Archelaus made a similar journey in 4 BC to argue his case against his half-brother Antipas. Jesus used a political scene familiar to his audience as a background for this parable. The outcome of these two trips was Herod, Herod was successful However, Archelaus was not, and he was banished. Okay, Jesus at the time of this parable was heading towards Jerusalem and the cross, so his stories were subtly hinting that he would be going away shortly. There are four players in this story. First, the master, a wealthy man, an extremely wealthy man actually, and three servants who are individually singled out according to their ability. The master is going on a journey, so he divides up his finances and allocates it to these three servants according to their abilities. The first servant receives five talents, and that's seven million. And in Luke 19.13, the master told the servant to do business with it until he got back. He immediately goes out and invests the money, earning a further seven million. He was obviously into property. The second servant, who was slightly less, who has slightly less abilities, was given two talents, or 2.8 million. He too went out immediately and diligently invested the money, earning a further 2.8 million. No timeline is given between the master leaving and his return, but from experience and what we have been told, it takes about seven to ten years to double an asset when invested wisely. It can be done faster, but with much higher risk. The third and last servant, a man of obvious lesser ability, was only given one talent, but still 1.4 million, to do business with. Now this servant disobeyed his master, and fearful of losing the original asset, buried it to await his master's return, or hope that his master wasn't coming back, in that case it would be his. <laughs> On the return of the master, the first two servants presented their original asset plus a further one of the same size to their master, gaining praise for their faithfulness, not successfulness, and a much increased status for their diligence. The third servant presented the original asset to his master, saying that he knew him to be a hard man, reaping where he didn't sow and gathering where he scattered no seed. If the master was a Bedouin chief or a Gaul, this would have been high praise as they either bought, bought their, their grain or stole it, as it was beneath them to grow crops. However, to a Jewish person who, was, who herded stock and tended crops, this would be an insult, basically calling them a thief and likening them to a nomadic robber. <laughs> so he was straight away on a, on a bad, um, <laughs> bad run. The third servant had, through fear, blatantly disobeyed his master and had buried the asset. The more you study this parable, the more you see that it's not really about the money. The standard reading of the story 
and preached in thousands of sermons is that the talents symbolize gifts and abilities that God has given us and that he expects us to spend generously or invest wisely. This interpretation is supported by the fairly coincidental similarity of the word talent and the ancient, uh, of ancient biblical times and the modern English language used today. In light of these clarifications, we can read Jesus' parable with fresh eyes. The talents given to the three servants are not so much monetary gifts or personal capabilities. They are a share in the mercy of God, a participation in the weightlessness of divine love. But since mercy is always directed to the other, these talents are designed to be shared. In fact, they will increase precisely in the measure that they are given away. The third servant has in reality not failed in his productivity, but failed in his relationship with his master, thinking him to be a harsh master who reaps where he doesn't sow and doesn't understand that the master gives generously and out of his abundance. The proper response is to share and increase whatever the cost to ourselves. The parable of the talents tells us to go out and be risky with love, trusting that we have a good master. If we want to be like the two faithful servants, we must give whenever we see need. Now, I only just noticed this, but there's a lot of musts in this. It's not, we're not to strive, so don't, don't take the must to heart, <laughs> okay? Um, if we want to be like the two faithful servants, we must give whenever we see need. We must share our love with those around us, and we must do so in small yet tangible ways. We must feed the hungry, give a drink to those who are thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, take care of the sick and visit those in prison. All our talents are tokens of love, our most precious talent, and they are given to us so that we can better love and care for those around us. As the parable of the goats and the sheep, as in the parable of the goats and the sheep, it makes clear when we serve those who need love, we serve Jesus. In other words, love those who need love. And that is how we offer back our love to the one who is love, Jesus. The third servant could only see the gold, yet he knew that God, his master, could reap where he didn't sow and gather crops where he did not plant. In other words, God doesn't need us to be financial wizards, but he does need us to reach out with his love. Five lessons of this parable. First, this parable teaches us that success is a product of our work, not our striving. <laughs> in the book of Genesis, we see that God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We were made to work. As Christians, we have a mission that our Lord expects us to accomplish in the here and now. Far too many evangel evangelical Christians today see their salvation as simply a bus ticket to heaven. They believe it doesn't matter what they do while they wait for the bus. The parable of the talents teaches us what we are supposed to do while we wait, await the return of our king. We are to work using our talents to glorify God, serve the common good, and further God's kingdom. Biblical success is working diligently in the here and now, using all the talents God has given us to produce the return expected by the master. Number two, the parable of the talents teaches us 
that God always gives us everything we need to do what he has called us to do. We are tempted to feel sorry for the servant who received only one talent, but in reality he received as much as a million dollars from the, from the master and buried it in his backyard. He was given more than enough to meet the master's expectations. Just as the master expected his servants to do more than passively preserve what has been entrusted to them, so God expects us to generate a return by using our talents toward productive ends. The servants were given enough to produce more. It is the same with the gifts God has given us. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We seldom associate this verse with our work, but we should. Number three, the parable of the talents teaches that we are not all created equal. The most overlooked part of this parable is the second half of verse 15. The master gives to each servant talents, each according to his ability. The master understood that the one-talent servant was not capable of producing as much as the five-talent person. We want to protest this is unfair, yet we know this is true from our own experience. Diversity is woven into the fabric of creation. But even though we're not created equal in regard to the talents, we're given. There is equality found in the parable of the talents. It comes from the fact that it takes just as much work for the five-talent servant to produce five more talents as it does for the two-talent servant to produce two more talents. This is why the reward given by the master is the same. The master measures success by degrees of effort, as should we. Number four, the parable of the talents teaches us that, that we work for the master, not our own selfish purposes. The money that is given to the servants is not their own. The money they earn with the capital is not theirs to keep. The servants are only stewards of the master's investment, and it is the quality of their stewardship that the master seeks to measure. We should maximise the use of our talents not to our own selfish purposes, but to honour God. We know that we work in a fallen world. Because of the curse of sin, our work will be difficult but we should feel satisfaction and joy from doing our best with what God has given us in the place where his providence puts us, seeking to succeed in order to honour him. Number five, the parable of the talents shows that we will be held accountable. The parable of the talents is not about salvation or works of righteousness, but about how we use our work to fulfil our earthly callings. It is about whole life stewardship or stewardship with a capital S. The unfaithful steward in this parable didn't do, didn't so much waste the master's money, money, he wasted an opportunity. As a result, he was judged wicked and lazy. We are responsible for what we do for God with what we have been given, and one day we will be held responsible. What we hear from the master on that day is up to us. Now, a British journalist once asked Mother Teresa how she kept going, knowing that she could never meet the needs of all the dying in the streets of Calcutta. 
She replied, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. Now that's very bad capitalism. Don't invest in her company. <laughs> now my catchphrase on this is, if we step out in faith, how much more will God reach? 